awesome. Why don't you guys give a hand to the worship team who led us so powerfully this morning. Thank you guys. We love it. Have a seat. Welcome again to Living Waters. I'm Ryan, and it's a joy and, uh, for me to be a part of it. an incredible team that gets to lead this house along with Kate, my wife, who co-leads with me, and, and our team um, from the youth, Kingdom Kids, to worship team, everything in between. Um, it's just rad to watch how this group of people and this community has walked through this difficult time. And, and I do think that it's true that so much of what we're finding as our response is as stuff gets removed, as things that we may prefer or things that we want to see happening, as that isn't always happening at the pace that we want it to happen, that we do have a choice to allow those things to refine us more and more into a Christ-like image and to be able to truly say, I am ready. I have been made ready in this last season. And it's unfortunate to, to, to even to admit that there are places in my life that if I don't let God have access to, that those remain hard and unpliable. And I could go through a challenging season that would be, uh, that he would use to mature me and for his purposes, and I could remain unchanged through that. And so our, our heart and our response needs to continue to be to whatever is ahead, whatever we're walking through, that, that he would meet us and he would refine us. And we say, we're ready, we're ready. We're ready. Continue to make us ready for what you have for us and for what's ahead. And that's exciting because we do believe that God is up to incredible things. And we are in this next passage of scripture that we find ourselves heading towards is we're going to be doing the book of Acts. And Acts is going to take us um, through at least the rest of the year and, um, and maybe further. And, um, and we'll, we'll see how it goes. But, I, but right now, after Easter, we find ourselves in what we call the space between. Jesus is resurrected. And the resurrection is, is the absolute foundation of our faith, right? And so Jesus is resurrected, and we celebrated that at Easter. And now here we are, and, and Jesus is walking the earth in, in, in the Gospels as the Gospels wrap up and head into the book of Acts. Jesus is walking the earth for 40 days. And during those 40 40 days, he is one, he is wanting to display that he is alive. So that, of course, is that foundational reality that says without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have no faith. There is no Christianity. There is no church. There is nothing. This doesn't exist without Jesus' resurrection. So he was showing people that he was resurrected. That's what he was doing for the 40 days. But he was also teaching and leading his followers into what was next for them. And that space between became a tension point between his, his resurrection and his ascension when he went to be with the Father. And so you guys know some of the stories of the things that Jesus did. And for the next couple of weeks, we're going to unpack some of those. Um, but here's where we will lead off from last week. In Luke chapter 24, as we know this, this story, it's the first day of the week. The women are going to, to, the, to the tomb where Jesus is buried. And they get there, and they're going to uh, minister to Jesus' body and put some spices and things on his body. And they're, uh, and they're trying to figure out how they're going to roll the stone away. And they get there, and the stone is rolled away already. And they go inside, and the tomb is empty, and, and Jesus isn't there. And as they're going, what is happening? Angels appear, and they say, don't you recognize this is what Jesus told you was going to happen? And it begins to click in their mind. And so they run back back to the disciples in Luke 24 and, and, and everyone else who was gathered there. And it said they told these things to the 11 and to all the others who were, who were, who were gathered waiting to, to decide what they should do next. If you can imagine with me for a minute that Jesus is, is dead and they, don't, they aren't sure what is going on. And so they're waiting. And these women come back to them and, 
and, and they tell them Jesus is, is alive. There was angels there, and we, we, we had this encounter, and they didn't believe the women because their words seemed too much like nonsense. They, they, were, it was, they couldn't comprehend what was being told to them. They didn't believe them. In verse 12 of Luke 24, Peter, however, got up and he ran to the tomb and he bent over and he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Now we get to look at it from this perspective in history. We know what had happened, right? Jesus was alive. Jesus was resurrected. And so Peter's wondering what has happened, but we know that. And so we get to walk out through these next 40 days of Jesus' life, what was it that he was trying to do as he met with his disciples, as he appeared in, in some places to 500 people? He performed miracles. He ate with them to show that he had a resurrected body. It was him. This is my body. You can, you can touch the wounds in my, in my flesh. This is me. And so he demonstrated that to them over those next 40 days. But on that same day in Luke 24, 13, I love this, this story. This was one of these encounters that Jesus had with his followers. Now that same day, two of his followers were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Verse 14, they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. So was Jesus different? Did he look different? Was the, was the Spirit of God doing something? To, but there's these, these moments uh, in Scripture where people didn't quite recognize who Jesus was. was. There was something in his resurrected body that, that was possibly different. And so they didn't see that it was Jesus. And, and he asks them this. What are you discussing together as you walk along? So, uh, again, this is one of those moments in scriptures, we've talked about this, anytime that Jesus asks you a question that he already knows the answer to, it's a setup. Um, so he, he asks them, what are you guys talking about? Um, and, and this interesting exchange takes place that I believe is so powerful. They stood still and their faces were downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here in these last days. What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, he replied, or they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. That ties into that place of what it truly was that they were expecting and hoping for Jesus to do. And he did this. They just missed it because it wasn't how they expected it. And what is more, uh, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. But they did not see Jesus. And he said to them, thanks a lot, Jesus. He says, how foolish you are. Um, I'm going to try to take the uh, emphasis out of this sentence because I don't think he was being mean to them. Uh, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter glory? Referencing their Old Testament scriptures. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. 
I think we all have favorite moments in Scripture where we would go, that's, the, that's where I would like to be. That's the moment that I would like to be. There's so many amazing stories of Jesus' life. But this, for me, would rank so high. To be able to walk along with Jesus and have him go, okay, let's start at the very beginning, and I want to share with you every step of the way of how these Scriptures that you've grown up learning pointed to me and how possibly you've missed it. And they got to walk and be taught by Jesus. How incredible is that for the early church? Imagine the early church and the foundational elements that were taking place in this conversation with this couple. And the way that they were being led and taught to be able to express in the early church who Jesus was and what he was doing and being able to show Jesus throughout the journey of the history of Israel and the prophets and the scriptures. Beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them, what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Now, I don't want us to miss this, this reference to, the, to that Last Supper, that reference to this is my body, this is my blood. This is what is being unpacked and, and revealed to their eyes here. And there is that, that, that connection that Scripture wants us to make. He broke this bread, he gave thanks, he broke it. He took the bread, he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Were not our hearts burning within us? This is my passion for scripture. This is my passion when I open the word. This is my passion when I teach the word. It is reflected in that reality of like when Jesus Jesus walked with them and unpacked all of that reality for them. Their hearts burned with the revelation that they were receiving. And they're going afterwards, they're going, how did we not know? How could we not know that that was Jesus? The way that our hearts burned. And so for us this morning, I want that to be kind of a directive word. I want this to be a, a moment where we can minister that phrase to everybody who's listening to this. Because in a season where their awareness was clouded by fear, by disappointment, by doubt, they weren't seeing Jesus for who he truly was. And that fear and that uncertainty, they're looking around going, where is Jesus? Has Jesus failed us? Is he alive? We have reports that he's alive, but he's not here. What is going on? And as they were trudging through this most difficult season, Jesus came up right beside them. And as they're looking back, they're saying it was the burning of our hearts that should have made us able to recognize that Jesus was with us in that moment. And so I want us to be able to say, God, make me really good at recognizing that burning of your presence in my heart. When my life is clouded, when I'm frustrated, when I'm hurting, when things aren't going my way, when stuff seems to be break, broken down, when we're walking around going, Jesus, are you real? Jesus, are you showing up? Jesus, have you forgotten us? That we wouldn't just be looking for that specific revelation, but we would be, have our spiritual senses, senses awakened to the presence of God. And we would begin to say, oh, I know when Jesus is near. 
because I can sense that burning in my heart. That spiritual sense is aware that he is here and he is in it. It's easy for us as humans to be, to be like, oh, I can recognize when my anger burns, right? I can, be, I, can, I can recognize that. I can recognize when my frustration burns. I can recognize when, a, when something that's hurting or wounded in me, I can recognize when that burns. I, I recognize that. And too often we allow those actual things to motivate us and choo- help us choose what we're supposed to do or how we're supposed to respond to the world, to ourselves, in our school, in our, in our workplaces, whatever it is. And I don't want us to be people who are responding to our anger, to our justice, to our judgment, to the burning that we get inside of us when we're frustrated and when we're hurting. I want us to be people who only respond to that burning of his presence, that light burning of, his, of our hearts to say, Jesus is in this. How is he going to lead you to respond well to culture right now? How is he going to lead you to respond well to people right now in your life? How is he going to lead you to respond well in these moments that you are in the marketplace? If you're being motivated by the wrong things, then guess what? The interactions that people have with you are going to mislead them into who Christ truly is or what the, what the church is supposed to represent in this day and in this time. But if we're people who say, oh, that my heart would burn with your presence when I open your word, when I read your word, when I get close to you, when I learn, when I'm with people in community, when I worship, I sense that spiritual sense of your nearness. And that's the place that I want to learn to follow that. I want to walk into places where I can sense you and I can sense that burning of my heart. And that's what I want us to have. And I want us to be aware of that. Especially in these hard and confusing times. If we're not aware of Jesus, we can miss it. In our grief, in our doubt, in our fear, in our frustration, we can miss Jesus. But if we learn to be aware of that moment when we say, oh, this is you, isn't it? we will stop and we'll begin to look for him in that place and in that moment and he'll be able to lead us so powerfully into the victory that he has already procured for us as followers of Jesus. And so this encounter on the road to Emmaus, it continues our theme that we've been unpacking all around Easter of how Jesus was doing these things right in front of people's eyes and they were incapable of seeing it. They couldn't comprehend what Jesus was doing and they kept missing it all the way up to the cross. That, that Palm Sunday when they're celebrating him saying, you're coming as a king and he was really coming to lay his life down. And, and then Jesus was saying, I'm gonna, I have to go to Jerusalem. I'm gonna be arrested and I'm gonna die and I'm gonna raise, be risen again on the third day. And they're like, I don't, understand what's happening and he's going you're going to deny me you're going to deny me before the rooster crows no I'm not I don't understand what's happening and then Peter denies him like these things where people kept missing Jesus in the midst of all the turmoil that was going on and I don't want to say oh it's the same now as it was then but I do want us to understand that parallel is that we are in a time of great turmoil and there's so many places for our attention to go But I want to say to you, Jesus is at work right here, right now, in your life, around your life, and through your life, and you can miss it. If you get fixated on the wrong things, if your focus begins to wane to other stuff, you can miss what Jesus is doing right here and right now. Jesus is up to a great work in his people, in his church. He's up to a great work in living waters. He's in a great, in, up to a great work in this house. But we have to be people who will say, I'm not gonna miss it for all the background noise and all the things that are going on. I'm not gonna be fixated on those things. I'm gonna be fixated on you. And because I'm fixated on you, I'm not gonna miss these things that you 
are doing. And so I want to release that word, and I want to challenge us to be able to look and say, this is the theme that we see all the way through Jesus' death and through his resurrection, is that Jesus was right there with them, among them, and they missed it over and over. But what was it that Jesus was doing? He was, as I said, he wanted to show up so they could see his resurrected body and believe in him and have historical proof that Jesus was a human. He was a person who died who, and who rose from the dead. But Acts 1-3 says this, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and he gave many convincing proofs that he was alive and he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So what was Jesus teaching about? the kingdom of God. So he was there to demonstrate the resurrection, but he was there to teach them about the kingdom of God. And so what we have is this moment where we realize as we look at scripture that Jesus has fulfilled two covenants. He has ended one covenant and he's inaugurated a new covenant. And so what we want to do is we want to look at scripture through that lens of covenants. And so you have the, the, you have the Abraham, Abraham's covenant, you have David's covenant. Jesus fulfilled both of those. In Abraham, that you would be a blessing to every nation, that through your seed that you would be, that you would be a blessing. And then David's that you would have a, a throne that would be without end, that the Messiah would come. And so Jesus fulfilled both of those those covenants, but the old covenant is the one that he talks about that we talked about in Hebrews in that series that Jesus came to end that covenant, that covenant of sacrifice, sacrificial systems in the temple and all of that stuff that, that God was saying, this isn't what I desire for you to come close to me. I want to be in you and with you. I don't want my people to be separated from me. And so he removed, Jesus removed that covenant he fulfilled too, but he also inaugurated a kingdom. And so as he rose again, his job, as it were, was he's walking around explaining to people about the kingdom that he had brought at hand. And so he inaugurated that kingdom. So we have to understand this in the original language, that word kingdom, it, ref it refers to God's reign. It refers to God's realm. It is that passage where we're told in, in, in Mark 6, 6.10 when he says, how should we pray? Jesus said to his disciples, you pray like this, your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he was teaching them to pray that God's his royal power, that his authority would make itself known on earth as it is in heaven. And so we understand from Matthew 28 that the entire earth, the entire world is under the authority of Jesus, but not everyone chooses to submit to that authority. But those who do, they enter into the kingdom. They become a part of the body of Christ. They become part of the bride of, of Christ. And so that authority reigns over us, and we choose to step into that, submit to that, uh, as scripture says that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so that's what we do when we say yes to Jesus with our life. When we surrender our hearts and our life, our past, our present, and our future, we're truly kneeling before Jesus, the King, and saying, every knee, my knee will bow before you. My, my words and my mouth and my heart will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he isn't just Savior, but he's also King over my life. And so that's what we want to, to, to live in that place. And that's what Jesus was coming to express to them, to them, for them to understand that the kingdom was then and it is now and that Jesus had established it. And that's what he was teaching them about a new covenant, a new kingdom. The king is here and the kingdom had arrived. So now there's, is that good? Are you guys good so far? I mean, not is that good? I don't want you to like hold up cards that say 10, 9, 8, 7. <laughs> 
I mean, I assume I'm in the 7 to 10 range at least, so that's where I start. Um, but what I mean is, okay, take a deep breath. Everybody move around a little bit. There you go. That's your encouragement. The kingdom is here is now, and now Jesus rose from the dead. In that resurrection, he proved that our faith is valid because of resurrection, and he also traveled around, and he taught us about the kingdom. Okay, so there, there's your message. And what I want you guys to do is I want you to have a heart to receive this, is that he wants to meet you so personally. Intimacy, identity, inheritance, intimacy, that core intimacy, that your hearts would burn with Jesus. And that as you're walking through these most difficult times, that you wouldn't do anything unless you sense God's presence, unless you sense Jesus's presence in it and upon it. Otherwise, you're gonna find yourself on all sorts of detours, right? Great, go. Cool, cool, cool. Okay, so now let's do some history. Um, everybody's good. You're all good. Okay, we're going to transition a little bit. We're going to go to more of a lecture model. Um, are you guys ready? Okay, good. Did you guys see what I did? My thing was never raised to an appropriate height for a 6'4 person. And because my tee was on there, I couldn't raise it. And so I was teaching um, like uh, the hunchback of Notre Dame. <laughs> so, <laughs> somebody get that guy to stand up straight. All right, so here I am. The reason that I want to teach a little bit on this is because the church background is often varied. And at Living Waters especially, we love that people can come from all kinds of different backgrounds and find a community of people who are just are saying, we, we want Jesus. We want to find Jesus. We want to look for Jesus in the scripture. We want to hold scripture in, in high regard. We want, to, we want to worship together. We want, to, we want to engage with our city together. We want to do these things together. And so what that does, it invites people from a lot of different backgrounds. And then we, we talk about how sometimes it's a religious detox center for folks who have maybe been over too much, too much. And you can come and have a place where it's safe to deconstruct your faith without losing it. Or, or you can come to a place where, where maybe you've had a ton of really good teaching and, and you're looking for a community of people that are carrying a, a unique passion that matches with where you are in your, in your journey right now. And, and so with that being different backgrounds, um, when I talk about the kingdom, there could be that there is a, a dispensationalist background. And what, what, what that would be is that people have been taught, many people have been taught, that the history from about 1800... Uh, on was was that history I just made a mess of that it, it, uh, let me start over okay in about 1800 someone came up John Darby came up with this dispensationalist teaching and it was a way for him to quantify these these lengths of time in human history so he wasn't saying from 1800 on. He was saying from the very beginning on. And these dispensations are basically going this age to this age to this age to this age. And every one of them starts with an event. It's, for instance, Adam to, to, to Noah. This would be one of the ages. And, and it starts with it. And then, it, and then human history kind of degrades until there's this moment where everything falls apart and, and God steps in, he intervenes, and that enters us into, brings us into a new age of human history. And as you look at these dispensations as they go along, one, what we come up to is that Jesus inaugurated what people teach is called the church age. And so we would be now currently in that, in that church age. And the, but the problem is, is that after the church age comes the millennial reign. It is the kingdom age. It is when the king Jesus will come back. He will return. Once this age gets messy enough and we screw it up enough, 
Jesus will return. He'll be like, oh my goodness, here I come. Let me go f- come fix this mess you guys have made. And he, Jesus will return, and the, and the millennial reign, the reign of Jesus will begin. And that kingdom that Jesus is talking about will begin when he returns. And so a lot of people are taught is that we are currently in a church age. Now you may be like, I don't know what you're talking about or whatever, but for some people you're going, oh yeah, that's, that's what I've been taught. And for others, you, you weren't taught that. And so I wanna talk about it a little bit and just make sure that we agree, at least here at Living Waters, um, I don't know if you're going to agree with me. In fact, you don't have to agree with me. That's one of the fun things about being around here is that you can be like, I don't agree with what that guy said. That's awesome because you're on your journey with Jesus. But if we can journey together, you never know what might happen when a group of people move towards Jesus. And, and just because I hold the mic and just because I stand on the stage does not mean that you have to agree with everything that I say. So many times we come from church backgrounds where if you disagree with the person who holds the mic, you have to leave. And that is not at all, at all the case here. We want you guys to think for yourselves. You don't, don't let me tell you how to think. We want, we want you guys to think for yourselves. But as we look at this reality of this kingdom age, we want to understand is what we believe is that the kingdom is here and now, that we're not waiting for a future kingdom to arrive. We're not waiting for Jesus to return and set up the kingdom. We believe that Jesus established the kingdom at his, in his life and through his death and through his resurrection that the kingdom came and that we are not living in that kingdom. The kingdom is not, uh, it's not about talk, it's about, it's about power. The kingdom is about us moving forward in the victory that Jesus won for us over death, over darkness, over sin. That's what scripture tells us, that Jesus is the victor and because he is the victor, he is now gone and he is seated at the right hand of the Father in all honor and all glory and he is seated there and because of that, on the throne, he is the king and he is a king over our life. He's not just just our personal savior. And this is what happens is that Christianity is so often dumbed down to just a personal savior relationship. But God is up to so much more. Yes, he loves that you would come into a personal relationship with him. And my heart is that any of you who are with us for any length of time would hear this. Jesus has made a way for you to come into personal relationship with him. But he wasn't just going, I want to be your personal savior. He is Lord, which is king. He is master over our life. And so to truly step into our full identity identity as sons and daughters and to walk in our inheritance, we have to be able to rise up and say, oh, he is the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He has saved my life from sin and death and darkness, but he is also calling me to surrender the entirety of my life to his kingdom and to his call and say, here I am, Lord. Use me for your purposes, for your kingdom. There's more to it. And us together as kingdom-hearted, kingdom-centered people are going to do, we're going to wreak havoc on darkness if we understand who we are and that we are walking as ambassadors of a present, not future, kingdom with a present, not future, king who is with us and in us and we are in him. And if we understand that, it changes the whole dynamic of how we function as believers. Yes, it's beautiful. Your devotional, inconnected, savior relationship with Jesus. But also, who are we together? And what are we a part of? And what is he calling us to as we surrender our lives further and further to him? And so we have to understand that the kingdom is here and now. So how do we do that? This is what Jesus came, and he was teaching about this present kingdom. And so what was he teaching? Well, we know on the road to Emmaus that he started with Genesis or with Moses, and he taught them all the way through Scripture. So I'm going to do that today. Turn to Genesis 1. (laughs) We're going to make it. 
No, I'm kidding. I'm not going to do that. That would be crazy town. You guys chuckle because you probably think I would try it. You're all like, ha, 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 Okay. John and Christine are texting the Kingdom Kids team like, he's doing it again. Get ready. It's going to be another 90 minutes. Well, what I really want to do is I, I want to understand that on that road to Emmaus, how Jesus was unpacking this. Let's go to Daniel 2, because Daniel 2 is one of the scriptures that people often misunderstand, and they use this to project the kingdom into the future. And so let's look at Dan, J, Daniel chapter 2. I'm going to read some scripture to you if you want to go to Daniel. Uh, <clears throat> if you want to go to Daniel, Daniel's in uh, our backup Bibles. You'll get those after you've been here for six months. Daniel chapter 2, uh, verse 31 through 45. So somewhere around 500 BCE, Israel had been taken captive by Babylon. The king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, he has a dream. And as you know, a lot of the, the young men were taken captive, and one of those was Daniel. Uh, or You may not know this, but this, this is how the story goes. And so Daniel is there, and he's serving Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, because his people have been taken captive and so this is what happens in Daniel chapter 2. Your majesty looked, and, and he had this dream, and, and Daniel was brought in to interpret this dream. Your majesty looked, and there before you stood a large statue, an enormous, dazzling statue, awesome in appearance. The head of the statue was made of pure gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of baked clay. While you were watching, a rock was cut out, but not by human hands. That is expression of divinity. It struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and smashed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were all broken to pieces to become like chaff in a threshing floor in the summer. The wind swept them away without leaving a trace, but the rock that struck the statue became a huge mountain and filled the whole earth. Tracking along so far. Perfect. This was the dream, and now we will interpret it to the king. He says, Your majesty, you are the king of kings. The God of heaven has given you dominion and power and might and glory. In your hands he has placed all mankind and the beasts of the field and the birds in the sky. Wherever you live, he has made you ruler over them all. You are the head of gold on that statue. After you, another kingdom will arise, inferior to yours. Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, will rule over the whole earth. Finally, there will be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, for iron breaks and smashes everything, and as iron breaks things to pieces, so it will crush and break all the others, just as you saw that the feet and toes were partly of baked clay and partly of iron, so this will be a divided kingdom. Tracking along so far? Good. Yet it will have some of the strength of iron in it, even as you saw iron mixed with clay. As the toes were partly iron and partly clay, so this kingdom will be partly strong and partly brittle. And just as you saw the iron mixed with baked clay, so the people will be a mixture and will not remain united any more than iron mixes with clay. In the time of those kings, in the time of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed nor will it be left to another people. It will crush all those kingdoms and bring them to an end, but it will itself endure forever. This is the meaning of the vision of the rock cut out of the mountain, not by human hands. A rock that broke the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold to pieces, meaning that this kingdom would be superior to all of the other kingdoms represented in this statue. 
The great God has shown the king what will take place in the future. The dream is true and its interpretation is trustworthy. So looking at it historically, if we look at this passage of scripture and this statue and understand that each one of these is a kingdom that will rule, that will have an empire that appears in appearance, rules over all of the earth. So that head is gold. That's Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. The chest and the arms is the Medo-Persia. Bronze is the Greeks. Iron is the Roman Empire. Each of these gave way to this next empire. So as we're following it, we're following on. Nobody disputes that, that the iron is Rome. So everybody's like, okay, we track so far, and now we get down to the feet, and we say, okay, so what is, the best way to, to understand prophecy, the best way to interpret scripture is to assume that prophecy is fulfilled within the time or in a way that makes the most sense. But what happens often is that people grab the feet of the statue, and they chuck them way out into the future. So we can see in a, in a linear line, we can see this nation, this empire, this empire, this empire, the Roman Empire, and then we go, no, and we chuck it out in the future and say, this will happen when Jesus returns. This will happen in a future time. Instead of taking the literal and straightforward approach that would say, I wonder if Rome ever broke into 10, uh, 10 groups, 10 little kingdoms, and I wonder if during that time, if a rock that was not made by human hands would have, would have established itself in the earth in such a way that it would grow to fill the entire earth. Well, what happened then? So the Roman Empire became known as a, the divided Roman Empire. That's what the ten toes are representing. So kings, kings under the emperor... Ten different kings under Caesar Augustus. He reigned from 27 BCE to 14 AD. So anybody know what happened in that gap of time? You tracking with me so far? So the ten kingdoms, Caesar Augustus, Caesar Augustus, he created these ten provinces for Rome, and, that, and then Rome ruled over them, and he was head over them, and they became known, as I said, as the divided Roman Empire. And what it did is it helped to bring peace because these 10 groups, they were trying to combine them all together and there was so much fighting and infighting. And so they thought, you know what we'll do? We'll set up governors or kings over each of these people and over these 10 nations or over these 10 different groups of people, we'll have the rulers over them and that will keep the peace. And so in Daniel 2.44, in the time of those kings... That's what scripture says. That's what the interpretation of that dream says. So during this feat, the feet period and the toes, the divided Roman Empire, he will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. So what happened during Augustus' reign? Jesus was born. You're right. Jesus was born. You're like, get to the dang point already. We're taking too long to get there. That was Nebuchadnezzar's dream. So this rock landed at the base of this statue, destroying, showing superiority of all these other kingdoms. It becomes this mountain that fills the whole earth. So when you think about the kingdom as the millennium, the concept is that it arrives all at once. When we think about it being a future arrival of the kingdom, we think it happens, boom. But what this picture is showing us is that the kingdom is like what? It is like yeast that works its way through the whole dough. It's like a mustard seed that you plant. It's the smallest of seeds, but it grows the greatest plant. So there is this picture of a progression of the kingdom that Jesus is teaching us about. This progression, it became a mountain that filled the whole earth. 
And when we begin to shift our thinking and understand that we are a part of that progression of the kingdom growing and filling the whole earth, it changes the dynamic when we talk about how we live our life, how we use our life, what we do with our time, what we do with our energy, what we do with our focus, what we do with our heart. When we understand that we are part of a kingdom that Jesus established as it was prophesied by Daniel, that it would fill the entire world. Earth. That's a beautiful picture. There was a moment in history when Abraham was the only man who had an inclination of who God was. And from that tiny seed, it grew and it grew and it grew to the point where Jesus came and the Messiah came and he had a whopping 12 followers. And for a while, it got up into the several hundreds. But then he started talking about drinking blood and eating flesh. And they were all like, whoa, we're out of here. I mean, it's cool that you can raise the dead, but that's too much for me. And so his, 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 his followers shrank even to the point where in Acts, at the beginning of the church, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell, there was what? 150 people in the room. Jesus established his kingdom in his life and his death and his resurrection. And he said, this rock that crushes and is superior to all these other kingdoms is gonna land in such a way that all of those are pale in comparison. And that rock that destroys all of that man-made stuff, it is going to start as a rock and it's gonna grow into a mountain and that mountain is gonna fill the entire earth. And now we get to say from that 150 people, we are a part of a kingdom that is growing and growing and growing and growing. A kingdom without end. A kingdom that is outdoing every kingdom that has ever come before it. And you and I are a part of that beautiful reality. And that's what Jesus was telling them and teaching them for those 40 days. It's why he said, don't leave Jerusalem until the Spirit comes, until you receive the Spirit, until you receive power from on high. Why? Because they were going to be commissioned as ambassadors to carry this kingdom into every walk of life, into every city they found themselves, into every place that they would go. Our greatest demonstration of the king's realm, of the king's reign, of what Jesus has done is through our lives. And this is the missing piece of a lot of people's thinking is that we need to understand that Jesus transferred that kingdom to us. You guys are doing awesome. I'm, I'm almost done. This is like we went into lecture hall. I, I know. So, but I want you guys to capture this. Jesus said to them in Luke 22 at that last supper when we were talking about this in, the, in, the, uh, in communion, he said to them, to the disciples, breaking their bre the bread, this is my body, uh, taking the drink, saying, this is my blood, a new covenant that I established to you. He also went on to say to them, and I confer onto you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on to me. He doesn't say to them, someday you'll have a kingdom, someday I'll come back and I'll give you a kingdom. He transfers or confers the kingdom right then, righteousness, peace, and joy. He gives it to them. And in that present reality, they are commissioned to carry that as a mustard seed, as yeast that will work its way through the entire world, through all the nations, that the kingdom will not stop. It will not be interrupted. It will go and go and go. And we are now swept into this. And we can look around the world and we can have a perspective that everything is falling apart and everything is dark and everything is dim and it's the worst of times and it's so hard. We have no historical perspective of what is truly taking place. We are at a moment that is emerging in history where the kingdom that 
started on that day where Jesus said, I confer on you a kingdom, on you 12, on you 100, on you 150. I pour my spirit out upon you. And the kingdom from that moment has unleashed a revival that has not stopped. And we are a part of it in this day in history. And so what you see is bleak. I see, I look and I go, the kingdom is on the move. The kingdom is on the move. Things are changing. People are coming to know Jesus. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's what we get to be a part of. That's what Jesus gave to us. And that is what he taught them about. The nature of the kingdom is progressive. Leaven and mustard seed, how it works its way through, through the whole dough, how a tiny seed becomes a giant, a giant plant. And you're an ambassador for a kingdom that's meant to fill the whole earth. Yes, he's our savior, but he's also our king. And so we can't have this fatalistic thinking that we look around and say everything is doom, everything is gloom, everything is falling apart. When we have that viewpoint of history where Jesus expands this moment and goes, the kingdom has come. The kingdom has come. And we look at that, if we look at history from that perspective, it changes everything and it even changes what we see happening today. When we look at today and allow that to show us what is happening, we miss it. But when we look from Jesus and we look out forward and we see what is taking place, it'll change the entire way that you see. And if it changes the way you see, it'll change the way that you hear. If it changes the way you hear, it'll change the way that you live. If it changes the way you live, then we are linking arms and hearts in a way that cannot be stopped. And this city, this valley, this region, this nation, this world needs people who are not hiding, saying, oh, everything's falling apart, but are linking arms and hearts and saying, there is nothing that can come against the kingdom of Jesus that he released. It took 12 people to change the world because he opened up a kingdom that wasn't about talk. It was about power. And that's what Acts is bringing us into is this moment of full surrender where we are saying, are we living in our own power? Because if we are, we're not going to see the kingdom. But if we're living in the spirit, we will see the kingdom. Overlaid on everything that you see is a reality of an unfolding kingdom. And I want to be a church of people, a community of people who see it who see it and step into it, and that we are enacted as ambassadors. Okay. So here's my challenge to you as we end. I don't even know where things are. I don't know where it went. Okay, so it doesn't matter. Matthew 6.33, my challenge to you is this. Don't worry about everything. Don't worry about what you're going to eat. Don't worry about what you're going to drink. Don't worry about what tomorrow's going to look like. Don't worry about what's coming. Don't worry about what's ahead. Don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. But in all things, what should we do? Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things that you're worrying about, that you're in turmoil about, that you're spinning out about. I want you to hear this. Seek first his kingdom and all the things that are weighing on us. Shake those off and say, I'm not going to worry about those. I'm going to be a person who expresses this mandate of seeking first the kingdom. And in doing that, everything that I need, everything that, is, that I require to be able to do the Lord's work will be added unto me. I'll become in the timing and in the place that he's asking me to. I'll be able to walk and receive those things in order to walk fully as an ambassador of Christ in his kingdom. Amen. Amen. Awesome. All right. Love you guys. Happy Sunday. You are awesome. Get out there and seek first the kingdom. Look for the kingdom and pay attention to the things that burn your heart in Jesus' presence, not the things that make you angry or frustrated. What burns your heart when Jesus is near? Amen? Amen. Amen. Awesome. All right. Love you guys.